0: Happy Sabbath. You know, it just occurred to me while I was sitting down that this will be my most likely very last sermon in this church before we head on to the new church. So I'm a bit nervous today. (laughs) So, wow. But um, today we are continuing the Elijah series. I'm Elijah, a man of God. And. Going back to almost two years ago in June 2016, on my very first Sabbath here in Loma Linda, I have preached my first sermon. Um, It was called Reality Check. I don't know if any of you recall, but it was on seeing the unseen greater reality of the great controversy. God's power by faith, and I know that it was cheesy, but at that time, I thought it was cool to bring in a pair of glasses and say, by faith, and see through the glasses. But during that sermon, I remember that one of the main central stories that I had focused on was on 2 Kings chapter 6, and it was on the story, one of the most remarkable accounts of Elisha's faith. This is where he prayed for his unbelieving servant to not be afraid and to be able to see the army of hosts above his head. And we know that after that, Elijah's ministry was just filled with so many amazing things. And today, I wanted to share with you how he got there. And so if you can turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, and... This is going back to last Sabbath. Um, Pastor Richard had preached upon um, Elijah. Elijah was so weary, and he was pretty much, he hit rock bottom because he has fearfully fled from the wrath of Jezebel, who is trying to come after him for his life, and he fled into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, that's where he discovered God's still, small voice speaking to him. This voice comforted him, and it also revealed to him That, look, Elijah, I have assigned others to finish and carry on the work for you. Don't be overwhelmed. And here, Elijah also learned that he wasn't alone as he has thought and felt. Because in 1 Kings, God told him specifically, Look, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, and all those knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And of those 7,000, we see in this passage that there is one man named Elisha. And now, in verse 19 through 21, we'll see the call of Elisha and how that took place. After God revealed to him that Elisha will be continuing Elijah's work, Elijah went to go find this man that God selected for him. And here we see... It says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphan, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelve. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. This is how Elijah was called. You see, when Elijah first called him, he was in the middle of doing something. And we are often reminded that when God calls us, it can be in the middle of anything. Whatever we're called at, at any point in our lives, he may call us. And so the question is, I hope you guys can observe what was Elisha's reaction when God called him. I mean, when Elijah called him. In verse 20, we will read and see that Elisha's reaction is naturally, wait, 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 wait. I really do want to say a proper farewell to my mother and father. Can I go back and say bye? And like any of us, if we are called out of something, of course, naturally, we want the time to transition. We want to say our proper goodbyes to our loved ones, to our old lives. But Elijah, when he heard that, he tested him by saying, you know what? No. Forget it. And oftentimes we see that through Elisha's initial reaction, sometimes we are all inclined to say, God, let me finish this task at hand first. Let me first finish studying for this important big exam, or let me just graduate first. Let me get my dream job first, have a stable family, and have children, children too. Just wait. But here in the Bible, in Luke chapter 9, God reminds us that often the the cost of discipleship is very high. He says in Luke 9, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell to my family and those who are at my house. But Jesus again said to them, No one, having put his hand on the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And at another time in Luke 14, Jesus tells us this sobering reality of the cost of discipleship. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. This is quite a requirement. When I first read these passages, I realized the only way to be a true disciple of Christ is to be willing to, no matter what cost, forsake everything. But the question is, how many of us are actually willing to do that? It's a very scary thought. But let's see what Elisha's reaction was after that. In verse 21, it continues. Here we read that Elijah, he turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Here in this verse, although Elisha initially had that moment where, hey, can I just say bye to my family? We see that Elisha made that firm decision. You know what? I'm going to turn my back against my current job, my home, my family, and all my plans to follow God's will. And we can see that this example of faith is also mirrored throughout the Bible. In Matthew 4, we see that Jesus' disciples immediately without hesitance, by faith, followed somebody named Jesus. It says Matthew 4, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, 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 they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, In a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. In Matthew 9, we see the despised tax collector named Matthew. Same thing. Jesus says, follow me. And it says how Matthew dropped everything, his job, his wealth, and followed after Jesus. And there's another story, one of the stories I love. It's about Rebecca. When Abraham's servant went to get her after God chose her as a wife for Isaac, the family, they were trying to persuade, hey, let's delay her trip. Let us enjoy our daughter for a little longer. Can you leave a little later? But we see that Rebecca, by faith, deciding to leave the only home and family she ever knew and to see a man she's never met before, she says, I will go. Now, looking at all of this, I realize that God does not ever call us to follow him and to do his work at our convenience or our timing and our ideals. He always calls us to follow him and to do his work as he sees fit and at his timing. But the question is, do we trust him enough to follow him, to drop everything we ever knew and have and to follow him? You see, as Elijah's servant and disciple, we know that Elisha walked with, observed, served, and learned from Elijah for several years. That's what any disciple does, follow after their master. And during this time, we know that everything Elisha saw under Elijah's leadership, every menial task and faithfulness in the little things, we know that he was being trained and prepared for a calling and ministry as the next prophet of Israel. And because of this training, he better understood the weight of his calling and purpose. Now, most of us in this room, I can safely assume that we have been very privileged to be Christians and Adventists our whole life. We were fed with the truth since the day we were born. I know I'm one of them. And we all, like Elisha, have followed after Jesus. We've observed him and seen his works in our lives and the lives of others. But the question is, what are we going to do about it? After receiving all these things, what are we going to do? In 2 Kings, our next um, verse, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 25, we will see the transition of Elijah into the ministry. Let's read the first uh, six verses together. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Um, (laughs) Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, "'As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, "'I will not leave you.' So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, "'Do you know that the Lord will take away your master "'from over you today?' And he said, "'Yes, I know. Keep silent.' Then Elisha said to him, "'Elisha, stay here, please. "'The Lord has sent me on to Jericho.' But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord your God will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elisha said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. You know, when I first read these two first six verses, it reminded me of the story of Naomi and Ruth. In the same way that Naomi gave Ruth, her daughter-in-law, a chance. Just as Elijah gives Elisha a chance. Look, you can leave. Just go back to what you were doing. You don't have to come. And we all... Have a daily, moment-by-moment opportunity to choose, either Christ or the world, to follow after him by faith or to leave him and follow our own hearts. Because for our entire lives, we have, some intimately and others afar off, all undeniably witnessed the love of Christ for us. We all experience the provisions of Christ, His character. And step-by-step, moment-by-moment, we witness for ourselves and experience the cause and effect of prayer and faith and the answers and provisions that God has provided for us. But every moment and every thought that we have, from the moment we wake up to the moment our heads hit the pillow, we are given the choice either to listen to and heed to the voice of self and the enemy or the voice of truth, our true shepherds. In John chapter 6, there's a story of Christ after his message. This is kind of known as a very difficult message because in this message, he preached to people and all, all this multitude, hey, I'm the living bread of life. In order to have eternal life, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And any normal person, when they heard that, of course they were troubled and be like, this guy is crazy. And I remember one sentence it says in that story, it says, since that point on, many disciples stopped following him and left him. And in verse 67, Jesus asked the 12 disciples, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered Jesus and said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Won't you cling to Christ and insist, persist that you will follow him wherever he calls you? That you have no other option. Just like Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? There is nobody else. Your way is the best way. And by faith, won't we be able to say, when we are given the choice to follow him or to leave him, won't we, like Ruth, say to Naomi, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and where you will be buried, there I will be buried." The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Can we say that to Jesus when he gives us that choice every day? Now, in verse 9 of this chapter, we see that before Elijah goes, he tells Elisha, look, before I go, ask me anything. I'll give it to you. It's a parting gift. And what do you think of all the things in the world that Elisha could have asked for, that this man asked for? The Bible tells us, in verse 9, Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Can we go to today's, um, it's John chapter 14, verses 12 and onward. This is what it says. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, how much more our Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him. You see, Elisha knew that the secret of Elijah's ministry was very simple it wasn't anything else, but it was the active presence of the Holy Spirit within Elijah that enabled him to have a faith that moved mountains, performed miracles, and make impossibilities possible. And he knew that this was all he needed to continue the work. And today, this same Spirit is all that we need. You see, Jesus promised that with his Spirit, we can do greater works than he has done, even greater, not the same, not less, but greater works. And we see that because after Elisha received that double portion of the spear from, from God, we see what amazing things he has done through that. In the Bible are written some of the most remarkable things that happened in his ministry. Let me read you a few. At Elijah's word, he was able to help a poor widow and rescue her sons about to be sold into slavery. He helped, at his word, have a jar that poured out an endless supply of oil. I mean, can you imagine pouring out a jar and have oil that fills 20, 30 jars? That's incredible. And at his word, he also helped a barren woman have a child. And when that son died, he, at his word and faith, that son was resurrected. At his word, a poisoned pot of stew became pure again. At his word, the army commander Naaman was healed of leprosy. And at his word and prayer, the eyes of his unbelieving servant were opened to see that the Lord's army was above him in chariots of fire. And at his word, the entire enemy army of Syria were sent in disarray and never bothered Israel again. These are just a few of the greater works that Elisha was able to do because of his faith and because of the spirit that was given to him. So the question is, family, do you think it's possible for these same things to happen again today? Do you think so? Because so many of us, and I have to admit, including myself, we hesitate or even deny the possibility. Oh, no, those miracles are so Old Testament. It it can't happen today. But family, we see that in this word, it reveals and confirms that these same miracles, this same power and the same spirit is available to us today. Jesus says that his spirit... With his spirit, we can do greater works than he did. And that spirit today is on standby, waiting to be activated. And do you know what activates that spirit? It is our faith. Simple, our faith. Consider this for a moment. The times when Elijah and Elisha and any prophet really were called by God was when God's people, when the nation, was plagued by sin and apostasy. Does that sound familiar to you today? Sure, we don't have the same golden statues and structures of idols that we bow down to today. But our idols are ever-present today. In fact, they're more subtle and even more rampant today. Time, money, success, reputation, celebrities, food, to name a few. And we see that that time is now. When Elijah's work was done according to God's wisdom and timing, God immediately assigned Elisha to continue the work. Elijah passed on the baton of of the gospel work to Elisha. And brothers and sisters, there were countless men and women who were before us who have done God's work already. They have been an inspiration. They have been a model, an example for us to learn from. And several have come and gone. And now the Lord is saying, you have seen enough. You've witnessed enough of my goodness and my faithfulness and my love. Now it is your turn to continue the work that I have begun on those before you. It is your turn to do the greater work that will usher in and pave the way for Jesus to finally return for his people. But... He needs you to make a decision. You have all tasted and seen that he is good, that he is true, and that he is God. That test that you really shouldn't have passed, that sickness that you really shouldn't have been healed from, or that accident that you really could not have survived out of, you've tasted and seen his faithfulness. But the question is, will you stop merely as a recipient of these blessings? Or will you make that same choice to cling to him, just like Ruth to Naomi, just like Elisha to Elijah, just like the early Millerites to the true church, and just like the remnant church to the final mission, which is go into all the world and preach the good news to all nations and every creature. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of this Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. Amen. Will you insist and persist in saying, here I am, send me. Anytime, anywhere, anything, I will follow you to the end. To those of you who will make that choice, who choose that today, right now in this moment, is a very special promise I want to close with today. It's found in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 should be on verse 16 and 17. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. The spirit we talked about throughout this whole sermon, the spirit that enables us to do the greater work than Christ himself, is freely given us, given to us right now. Men and women, sons and daughters, and children of God, will you choose to see the greater reality and choose to do the greater work today? Let's bow our heads for our prayer. Most loving Father, thank you for choosing people like us. We are but dust of the earth, but you called us to continue the last work. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that you promised to all who ask, and this spirit that will enable us to do not just a great work, but the greater work, greater than Christ himself, to hurry your son's coming. And we always choose to follow you by faith, We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can we all stand for the offertory song?
1: My soul will sing No turning Yeah.